0: So we're in the book of Revelation, and this is the unveiling. That's what the word apocalypse means, the unveiling. And uh, we've been looking at the first eight verses of Revelation. This is, I think, our sixth week. Is that right right here, sixth week? We're, we, we're, we're to live with the expectation that Jesus is returning soon, but that doesn't mean we're going to rush through the book of Revelation. <laughs> we're going to take our time, because uh, there's so much rich stuff here. So I'm going to start with verse 4. Read it, and then I'm going to bring uh, one point that we haven't covered yet. Next week, I'm going to have another two points that we haven't covered yet, and then I think we're going to move on to verse 9 eventually. Uh, But uh, at this pace, we'll get to chapter 3 by the year 2034. All right, so, (laughs) let's hurry. Here's here's what we read. Here's what John says. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Asia Minor, this modern-day Turkey. John may be the Apostle John. I think he is. But it, it could be just be a, a prophet in the early church named John. doesn't matter. But he says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Okay, this is John's uh, use of the divine name in, in the Old Testament, Exodus 3.14, where he always says, I am. I am that I am. That's his name, the great I am. And John here translates that into three tenses. To be the I am means you always were. The one who always is, and the one who is to come, the divine name. So grace to you from him who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The title of this message is The Seven Spirits of God. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. So it is to be, amen. I'll be speaking about that next week. John here is quoting Daniel 7.13 and quoting Zechariah 12 and making an incredible point out of the two. And then he says, in the end, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come The Almighty, Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to receive your word, to be convicted by your word, and be transformed by your word. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen Amen and amen. Amen. So what's up with these seven spirits of God? Uh, What's going on there? First, let's talk about numbers in the book of Revelation. The number seven particular. And we'll look at the number four. We'll look at numbers in general. Uh, I will warn you here. Mary, Mary asked me to warn you ahead of time that this is a little bit geeky. <laughs> Once in a while we like to geek out. So all the geeks in the crowd, and I think we have an extraordinary number of geeks, uh, are getting excited at this. Some of you are going to have to just tolerate this, but, but, but put up with it because uh, it has some cash value. It cashes out practically in the end to make Mary happy. So hang with me on this one. But I want to talk about numbers. Now, uh, here, and don't think you've got to remember all this, because I'm going to go through it really fast. I'm giving a general overview. Numbers are really important in the book of Revelation. So as we're going to be interpreting this book, we need to know something about its, 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 the way it uses numbers. Numbers in the book of Revelation, and this is true of apocalyptic works in general, uh, are, are never, can say never, but they're usually not numbers. They're symbols. All right? Lock that in. I mean, when John talks about seven churches, those are seven actual churches. Though even there, the fact that he, numbers, he, he lists seven has symbolic value. So here's, here's, the, here's the, the, the primary numbers in Revelation and what the basic meaning is. And I, I could nuance this a lot, but I don't have time. So generally speaking, here's what we find. Two is a number that signifies witness. Uh, it, it, Based on, in the Old Testament, it says, uh, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so when you come upon two, like in, the, in Revelations chapter 11, you'll find these two witnesses. But two, the, the number isn't a number, it's a symbol. And it's a symbol of witness. It's a symbol of the church who is called to bear witness. Three is the number of perfection and of divinity. Four is the number that, that it's associated with the earth. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. It has to do with the Earth, because there's, in the ancient world, they believe that there' four winds to the Earth, and there's four corners of the Earth. We find that in the book of Revelation. So four it tends to be the number of the Earth. Seven is the number of completeness or totality. Ten is quite similar. It means it's fullness, but it has a connotation of etc., cetera, etc, cetera. Okay, it's of unending. And then 12 is the number of the people of God, because there's 12 apostles, there's 12 tribes of Israel, and, and, and so on. And when these numbers are multiplied together, which happens quite frequently in the book of Revelation, it has an amplifying effect or a hyperbolic effect. It's like, you know, times, that, this truth times 7, this truth times 100, or whatever. So here's a good example of this. Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses, who I love to talk to, and, and I had some Jehovah Witnesses come to my door the other day. They haven't been for about 15 years, ever since the last time I spoke with them. And apparently, <laughs> so somehow my name got off the do not bother list. And so they, they came to my door. And unfortunately, I was right in the middle of supper. So I said, "I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. But if you come back tomorrow, I'll be free all afternoon. And I'd love to speak with you. And, and, and they didn't show up. And I was really sad. <laughs> And it's probably because I gave it away. I, I said, oh, are you guys from the Watchtower Track Society? And immediately that, that puts them on guard. Oh, you know who we're about? Because they, they, they come and they always will say, oh, are you concerned about the state of the world today and whatever? And I know, I know their stick. I've heard it many times. And I say, yeah, I am concerned. Can we talk about it? I'd, I'd love to talk with them. Well, what are their beliefs? Especially about the divinity of Jesus. But one of their beliefs is that, that, that there's 144,000 people who are going to be who are the elect, and they will be ruling the New Jerusalem. And When they have a new heaven, new earth, there'll be a, a class of rulers who are the 144,000, and they base that on, on, on Revelation 7:4, where it says, "John says, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed out of every tribe of the people of Israel." And then he goes on and lists the tribes of Israel, and out of each of them comes twelve thousand. So you have twelve tribes, each of them giving twelve thousand, and so you arrive at the number one hundred forty-four thousand. And they take that literally. Although, if you took it literally, it only would apply to Jews, because it's from the tribe of Israel. So you have to ask, well, if you're if you're not Jewish, then you can't be one of the elect, apparently. And for some reason, they don't go there. But here's the thing: it's not intended to be literal. 144 is composed of 12 times 12. So this is a way of saying the people of God times the people of God, 12 times 12. Absolutely everybody is, is what he's saying. Times 10 times 10 times 10. Three tens. It's divinely constructed tens, and that brings you to uh, which is the, 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 the symbol of fullness, and et cetera, et cetera. So 144,000 is not a symbol of exclusiveness, only 144,000 and none others, but it's a symbol of totality, all the people who are, are encompassed by this, and that's why John, he hears, he hears 144,000, and this happens throughout the Book of Revelation. Make a note of this, John. He, throughout the Book of Revelation, John hears something, and what he hears is usually a traditional image or a symbol, and then he turns and he looks, and what he sees is very different from what he heard. And that's John's way of reinterpreting these ancient symbols uh, is is that what he sees reinterprets what he hears. So he hears 144,000. But when he turns and looks, here's what he sees, verse 9. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count. What you just told us was 144,000. I could count that. No. Actually, no one could count it. And these are people from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb robed in white with palm branches in their hands. And so what John's saying is it's that this ceiling this, uh, this that God's after, the people of God, it's all encompassing, all the nations, all the tribes, all the peoples, all the languages. And he uses this fourfold way of identifying all who are in because four is the number of the earth. And, 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 and so this is, All the people of the earth, the entire earth, are encompassed in the ceiling of God. And John here is just trying to find ways of expressing this vision that he sees. He sees these things. He's trying to write them down. And it it goes beyond what language can convey. So he uses these these numbers symbols to express this. This is all the people times all the people times times 10 times 10 times 10 times fullness times fullness times fullness innumerable number of people are included in God's grace. And this is what we find throughout the book of Revelation. There's this all-encompassing vision of all humanity coming under the love of God and being transformed and becoming followers of the Lamb. And it's never coerced, and so there are people who can say no to this. But in God's heart, it encompasses all the people of the earth. Now, Richard Baucom, uh, he's a famous, uh, incredible scholar of the book of Revelation. Uh, His book is called The Climax of Prophecy. Uh, you can read it if you want. It's very academic, uh, so no what you're getting into. But it's an incredibly insightful book. And he convinced me of this, that the Revelation, on the one hand, it's meant to be read and heard. Uh, we see that in verse thir- 3, blessed is the one who reads, and blessed are those who hear. And, and, and so as, as a work that's meant to be heard, the images that John has are meant mainly to convey, to make an impression on people, uh, to make an impact uh, you can't freeze frame the book when it's being read. And so, so you have to—it's meant to be felt more than it is micro mi- microanalyzed. So that's, that, that's the primary reading of the book of Revelation. What, what people would have understood as they're hearing this in the first century being read to them. But Balcom has convinced me that John also wrote it. He wrote it as an oral performance, something to be read and heard. But it also is written for a deeper level of meaning. Uh, the level of care and the level of detail, meticulousness that went into composing this work convinced Baucom that John intended this to be not just read and heard, but also studied profoundly. In fact, he argues that there was a, uh, in the first century, uh, a school of prophets, as it were, that John would have had in mind as he's writing this book, and he intended it to be studied. And so one of the things he does, that I find, and I never knew this until I started reading Baucom and reading Revelation. Um, that, that uh, one of the ways John does that is by embedding numbers into the text. I'll show you what I, what I, what I mean by this. Um, and, here, and now we're going to geek out just for a moment. Just follow me here. Okay. For example, Lord God Almighty is mentioned seven times. Could be coincidental. But Balcom argues that this is John's way of saying Lord God Almighty times seven. It's like unlimited power, the Almighty. Uh, the Almighty on steroids, times seven. The one who sits on the throne is mentioned seven times. Because the one who sits on the throne is perfect, times seven. Uh, Christ is mentioned seven times totality, perfection, the anointed. He's the fullness of the anointed one. That's what Christ means. Jesus is mentioned 14 times. Seven of those times are mentioned Him as the faithful witness. But Balcom argues that the 14 is significant because it's 2 times 7, 2 being the number of witness, 7 the number of totality. So Jesus is the totality of a perfect witness before God. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned 14 times for the same reason, because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophecy. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's the spirit that inhabits the church as we bear witness, faithful witness to the character of God and, and, and to the Lamb. I am coming is mentioned seven times. Uh, it's, it's, it's like highlighting the importance of this. Live with this in view, that he is coming. Time seven on steroids. This is important. It's also kind of interesting that the gospel of John has, Jesus has seven I am statements. Uh, one of the things that's convinced me that the gospel, the author of the gospel of John is the same author of Re- Revelation. Uh, I am the way and the truth and life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Seven of them. Uh, that has some kind of significance. There are seven blessings in the book of Revelation, blessed are those who seven. Could be coincidence, but Bakum says no. That's not coincidence. Uh, John is saying that this book embodies the fullness of the beatitudes, the fullness of God's blessing for us. If we'll ingest this, the Lamb of God is mentioned 28 times, seven times four, four being the number of the earth, and seven totality. And so he argues that this is John's way of communicating that the Lamb of God. Uh, the whole thrust of this lamb, the slain lamb, it's about how God rules the world, uh, how God defeats evil. This is God's face towards the world. The lamb is mentioned 28 times. Uh, we find the mention of the, uh, all the people and the tribes and the na- languages and the nations. That's mentioned seven times. And that fourfold reference, as I mentioned earlier, uh, is it's, it's capturing all the people of the world, earth times seven. Everybody. And we'll find that in the book of Revelation, everybody is under deception, and then everybody is under truth at the end, um, except for those who refuse to be a part of it. Uh, So seven is found throughout this book, and I could go on. There's a lot of sevens, seven bowls, seven trumpets, seven seals. Some people argue that the whole book is constructed on sevens. But it's John's way of embedding meaning, deeper meaning into the text. You wouldn't get this hearing it for the first time. You'd only get it by studying it really meticulously. Four is also significant, four being the number of the earth, the four winds, the four corners of the earth. We find that the the earth is uh, always referred to in four categories in the book of Revelation, heaven, earth, under the earth, and the sea. And and each of these uh, divisions at different points give a doxology to God, and the doxology is always in fours. So he says uh, blessings and honor and glory and might, a fourfold Doxology. Every other doxology in the book of Revelation is either threefold or sevenfold. But when the earth gives praise, it's fourfold. And Balcom says that's not a coincidence. John is embedding a deeper meaning into the text here. Hey, blows my mind. I've never seen this before. The first four judgments are on the earth. And then Babylon is said to have, in chapter 18, they list the items that are brought to Babylon. And there's 28 items, which is seven times four. Uh, and Balcom argues that this is the way John is saying that Babylon, the, the world empire, and it's, it's a symbol for all the empires of the world. It's the quintessential consumer. It imports, it imports everything from the, the world. So they get it from the merchants of the earth, and so Babylon is the consumer on, on, on steroids. The consumer times seven. It gobbles up the world. That's what empires do. And it's it's it's, it's the, the epitome of worldliness. That's Babylon. So all this shows that Revelation was written with meticulous care, according to Richard Baucom. Um, It wasn't just haphazardly composed together. John saw these visions, but then when he writes, he has to write it down. And in writing it down, he strains language to the nth degree to try to communicate what he's seeing. And he uses these symbolic ways of trying to express the the, the grandeur of the vision that he got. and it's, uh, it's, it's uh, you can see the whole of the book of Revelation as John's artistic expression of these magnificent visions that he saw. And it's got layers of meaning that just go down and down. And so that brings us to the seven, the seven spirits of God. What's up with that? Seven spirits before the throne of God. Now there's some people who, some scholars argue that these are seven angels, And it's easy to think that because there's an angel over every one of the churches that John writes to. So there are seven angels. And we we find seven angels being referred to several times later in the book of Revelation. So some think that that's what's going on here. I do not think that. Um, For a lot of reasons that I can't get into. Uh, But John doesn't, spirit and angel are two different words. He doesn't fuse those two. Those are two very different things. Um, and the structure of this passage is Trinitarian. He's always, he just mentioned the one who was and who is to come. He, after, after that, he mentions Jesus Christ. And in between, you'd expect there to be the Holy Spirit. That's the pattern in the New Testament. Instead, we have these seven spirits of God. And so that should incline us to think, well, he's referring to the Holy Spirit here. Um, and, and, and on top of that, the role that is given to these seven spirits goes way beyond anything that anyone would apply to an angel, as we'll see here in a moment. A crucial passage for understanding these seven spirits of God is found in Revelation 5. In fact, we'll find we'll see that Revelation 5, when we finally get there, is, is if we get there before Jesus returns, uh, is is it, it's uh, the turning point of the whole book of Revelation. It's the fulcrum. Uh, it's it, it's the interpretive center of this this book. But we read this in Revelation chapter 5. It says, "Then I looked. Uh, then I saw. First John heard." that the lion of the tribe of Judah will open up this, this scroll. And then he turns and he sees, remember that, 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 that thing that John does, what he sees is a lamb, of, is a, lamb a slain lamb. The lion of the tribe of Judah is a slain lamb. Who would have thought? He says, And I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, there was a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So these are not the seven angels over these seven churches. This is the spirit of God being sent out into all the earth. And horns always represent in the Bible power. Not always, but, but they came to represent power. And so seven being the number of totality, saying seven horns means the totality of power, the, the lamb's power. And the eyes are the the discernment, primarily. And so it's the totality of the the Lamb's discernment. And the seven spirits are, they are the seven horns and the seven eyes. That's what the text says. Uh, So God's power, the Lamb's power, and the Lamb's discernment is being sent out into all the earth. And uh, uh, now there's a lot of Old Testament background to this that I can't get into. Zechariah 4. Uh, identifies these lamps with the Spirit of God. And, 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 and he says, not by my not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And, and what, what with this idea of the eyes of the Lord uh, roaming the earth came to mean is that it stands for the unique power of God, the different kind of power of God. Not by might, not by the world's might, not by the world's power, says the Lord, but by my Spirit, Zechariah 4, 6. That's how the work of God gets done. That's how, how God's will gets accomplished in this world. And so for God's seven spirits to be sent out into the earth, he's saying the totality of the Spirit of God, the totality of the Lamb's power, and the totality of the Lord's discernment is now being sent out into the the earth. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to take all that Jesus accomplished on Calvary and now apply it to the world. Take the victory over evil and over sin that was accomplished on Calvary, the victory over the devil, and now the Holy Spirit's job is to apply this to all of our lives, and to all the world, in every place, in every person, every time the Holy Spirit's working, to lure people to, to be putting trust in God's power rather than the world's power, and luring people to, towards greater degrees of truth, and so far as the, God's able to, given the, the, the restrictions of the culture, the time, and all the rest. But God's moving in every heart. Paul talks about this in Acts 17, that in Him we move and have our being. He's not far from any of us. But in every heart, He's getting people to grow for him and possibly find him, though he's not far from any of us. This is the job of the Holy Spirit. What John is saying with the seven spirits of God is just simply this. Just as God in his totality poured himself out into Jesus to have this event that saves the world and reconciles the world, so also God is now pouring himself out totally. God's giving us his seven, his totality, his best, as he's working to apply the work of the cross to our lives and to every person on this planet. Uh, the Apostle Paul addresses this a little bit in Colossians. When he says this, Sorry, I just love this passage. It says, For in him, that's in Christ, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All of the fullness, the Romo, all that makes God God was dwelling in Christ. God poured himself out fully in the person of Jesus Christ. He became a human being. And then, in him it was, uh, the fullness was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. All things. Whether on earth or in heaven, all things. How? By making peace through the blood of his cross. Uh, the phrase making peace through the blood of his cross, cross is simply saying making peace through the sacrifice. Through the sacrifice of God. And it was the expression of this other-oriented self-sacrificial love that was expressed on Calvary uh, this perfect love of God that pushes back the darkness that defeats evil and and in principle overcame all that needs to be overcome in principle on Calvary God removed every obstacle that separates any human being from God on Calvary all was forgiven the slate was wiped clean praise God on Calvary God brought about a new creation look behold all things are new everything old has passed away in principle that's all been accomplished on Calvary but we don't yet experience it in our life do we? And this world doesn't fully experience it. We're still under a cloud of deception, which leads to all this violence and this mayhem and all the evil that we're seeing and the heartbreak that we're seeing. And keep praying for the Middle East uh, that, that, that gets contained and doesn't spread out to become a regional thing. Uh, it, it, that, that was never supposed to be part of this world. But the world has not yet caught up to what it has accomplished on Calvary. And God apart wants to use the church to bring the world to catch up to what God did on Calvary. And the job of the Holy Spirit is to be doing that. He's applying it throughout the entire world, working to bring reconciliation to all things and God's shalom, God's peace to all things by reconciling all things to God and to one another and to the earth and the animal kingdom, praise God. Uh, so the kingdom of God, folks, what we're a part of right here, the kingdom is simply a movement of people who... I've caught on to what God's doing in this world. This is what God's up to in this world. Most people don't know it. Because most people are looking for might and power. What's moving? What's shaking? Who who, who, who are the wealthy people? Who are the people with power? What are they doing? the book of Revelation, this is always the work of the kings of the earth, and I'll talk about them more next week. The kings of the earth, they look like they're the movers and shakers, the ones who determine the direction of the world, the one percenters who run this show, right? And so people look for that kind of might and that kind of power. Whereas... The Holy Spirit is the power of the lamb, the power of the slain lamb. The Holy Spirit is the power of self-sacrificial love. It's the power not to crush your enemies, but to love your enemies and to forgive your enemies, to reach out to your enemies, uh, and to possibly transform your enemies. It's the only power on the planet that can do that. And you hit return tit-for-tat, bomb-for-bomb, bullet-for-bullet, all you do is reinsure, make sure that the next generation is going to carry on the same thing. That merry-go-round of cyclical violence, the myth of redemptive violence, the biggest lie human beings have ever bought, it's going on steroids over in the Middle East. uh, Tit-for-tat. Whatever you think about that, know this, that behind all of that, there are powers that are laughing all the way, playing people off against one another. That's what the powers do. And we're to have a kingdom perspective on this where we understand that, that this world is under this deceptive power. Our job is to work against that by proclaiming uh, love, unconditional love for all people, all, all things, and to be living out the victory of the cross in the way that we treat, the way that we relate to God, the way we relate to ourselves, to one another, and the way we treat the earth and the animal kingdom. Our job is simply to participate in what God's doing. Amen. Amen. We don't... We don't create it. Our job isn't to make it happen. Our job is just to join what God is already doing. And so to be looking for places where God is at work, where reconciliation is beginning to happen, uh, where where God's character is beginning to be manifested. Don't keep your eyes on the movers and the shakers and the people with the bombs and the bullets and the tanks and whatever. Be looking for that little slain lamb, the power of that slain lamb. Uh, That is what is moving in the world. And we first of all apply it to our own lives. And we have to ask the question, okay, God, what are you up to in my own life? Huh? What needs to be reconciled in me? What needs to be, where are the areas of my life where I need some shalom? Where's the conflict? Is my thinking in alignment with God's thinking, or does that need to be reconciled? Are my desires and my habits, my aspirations, are they in line with God's heart and desires and aspiration? Or does that need to be reconciled? Uh, my relationship with my spouse and my children, my neighbors, does that reflect God's character? Does that reflect Lamb's character? Or does that yet need to be reconciled? Does shalom need to be brought into that? And, and, and let the Holy Spirit do an audit on your heart. Open up the books, as I shared last week. Open up the books. See the Holy Spirit reveal. You know, the unveiling, the revelation's an unveiling. And, 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 and if we let it, it will unveil us to ourselves. Amen. If we're willing to get honest, it holds up a mirror. And so we have to ask ourselves, what in me needs to be reconciled? Where areas need to be brought into alignment with God's will? And, 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 and what areas need shalom? And then as we are in the process of doing that, God uses us to bring shalom to others. If our eyes are open, if we're walking and following the Lamb wherever He leads, God wants to use us uh, to bring shalom. Where there's conflict, we're to be, bringing, uh, we're, we're, we're to be peacemakers. Uh, where there's hatred, we are to be bringing love. Uh, where there's violence, we're going to be bringing peace. Uh, look for opportunities in your life, day in and day out, where you can be manifesting that lamb-like power and that lamb-like wisdom to bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And let me say this. One of the biggest lies the enemy has foisted on us that a lot of us, I think, struggle with, it's a lie that, 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 that you don't count. You don't count. What difference can you make? Look at this world with all of its problems and all that's unraveling that's going on, the crazy. You think you make a difference? Get off of it. And we think that, you know, that... that this cosmic thing—oh, God's working to reconcile everything in heaven and on earth, all things—and that cosmic thing out there—that that doesn't apply to our everyday lives, like the way that we treat our spouse and the way that we relate to our children and our grouchy neighbor, and, and the, our coworkers at the at, 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 or how we relate to others in church and our small groups. We, we think we we kind of do a golf. Thing. There's a golf there, as though what's going on cosmically doesn't have anything to do with our day-to-day little lives. You see, it's really interesting that the book of Revelation it starts. John starts, like after the introduction, he starts in chapter two by talking to these seven churches, and they're pretty screwed up churches for the most part, except for one. They got all sorts of problems, uh, and and they're compromising and they're you know fearful and whatever. So they don't, these aren't like heroes of the faith. No, There's seven churches that are struggling, and yet John then after talking to these seven churches, like get your act together, then he zooms out, starting in chapter 4, and talks about this cosmic warfare that's going on. And these churches are involved in this cosmic warfare. And the fact that it's seven tells us that John's not just talking about those seven churches in Asia Minor. He's talking about the church in general, the totality of the church. And and we're in the midst of this, this spiritual warfare. And John is saying that what goes on in these little seven churches here, which probably at the time there maybe were a couple hundred people involved here. In the midst of the whole Roman Empire, the largest empire that the world's ever seen, there's a couple hundred people in these screwed up churches. And John is saying that what you do makes a difference difference cosmically. Because this is how God is working, how the Holy Spirit in all of his totality is working to bring about reconciliation and shalom to all this world. Your actions count. And see, that lie is so diabolical because if you believe it, then, then your whole life becomes irrelevant to the gospel. Because your life is mainly about little decisions that you make every day. Little decisions. But those little decisions really, really matter. They mount up to a lot. I, you know, I walk with my dog every day, uh, as I've shared before, and now I can walk pain-free. Hallelujah, I love it. I, 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 can go for, I walked two and a half hours the other day. I just, no pain, love it. And so I'm giving God thanks. Again, this is a time where God often talks with me. And I, 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 I got convicted that I'm, uh, and and actually this isn't the first time he's told me this, I just forgot. Uh, But but as I'm walking, I'm to do it not just as a way of receiving and talking with God, that's beautiful, but as a kingdom person, I should uh, be cleaning up God's uh, property as I'm walking because there's garbage everywhere. There's garbage everywhere. What really pisses me off is when people leave their dog poop uh, to be picked up because that makes all of us dog walkers look bad. And so now I'm supposed to pick up other people's dog poop because uh, it's God's property. And even though, I, yeah, my dog didn't do it, and I didn't throw that popcorn over there, but still, as an ambassador of Jesus, I, I'm supposed to be caring about the earth. And, you know, and the one, so I got a little poker stick, and I got a bag, and I go around just, pick, yes, we're walking with the dog. It's going to pick up some garbage. Why not? Uh, you know, and, uh, but here's the thing that, you know, what difference does that make? All oh, the garbage in the world, yeah, you're going to pick up, you know, what difference can you really make? But it does make a difference. Every self-sacrificial act that we do, as I said last week, it's saying yes to the dress. The bride is to be adorned with, 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 with the righteous deeds, it says in, in Revelation 19. Those righteous deeds are all little tiny things that we do. And so every dollar we sacrifice, every moment we sacrifice, all the, whatever energy we sacrifice, all of it counts because it's all part of this movement of God. Uh, going against the power of the world and the might of the world, using the Lamb's humble, Lamb-like kind of power, self-sacrificial love, to transform the world one little act at a time. And we are all invited. In fact, we are all instructed to be part of this. It's about opening up our lives day by day, moment by moment, to be used by God in little tiny ways, expressing love, and maybe sometimes in in bigger ways. But that's what furthers the kingdom. And as we all... Sacrifice together; it's, it allows us to do things that we could never do individually, and that's the value, one of the values of having a broader community. We all get to do. I, we, I wouldn't individually have this food shelf; it's gonna be feeding 500 people a day. But as we together, with the right attitude and the openness to partner with other organizations, as we together make sacrifices, that's what allows all this to happen. You count your decisions; count you matter. I don't care what your status is in the world, you matter. Every prayer matters. Every act matters. It may not register on the world's scale, but it registers on God's scale. And every time you are making that sacrifice, you're further adorning the bride of Christ. You're further conforming your life. And making you comp- you're investing in eternity because you're moving your character in the direction of the only kind of character that's going to last for eternity. And that is the character of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'll end with this. Revelation is the unveiling. And if we, we let it, it will unveil us to ourselves. So here's my question. Um, the Holy Spirit is a seven. is a sevenfold spirit. The spirit in all of God's totality is poured out in service to this world, manifesting the power of the Lamb. God is all in. He was all in on Jesus. He's all in on the spirit. and Now he invites us to participate in that. And the way we, t- we t- participate is by reciprocating God's all inness. He invites us to be all-in. So my question is, are you giving God your seven? God gives us his seven, everything he's poured out to make this happen. And he is looking for a bride who will dance with him, who will reciprocate, so that our love for God and for others mirrors God's love for us, which mirrors God's love, the love that God is. Because God throughout eternity, his Father, Son, Holy Spirit, totally poured out towards one another. This is, as I mentioned last week, this is called the perichoresis, indwelling. Perichoresis, this is the perichoretic dance. The dance of pouring yourself out. And we're invited in on that dance. That's the whole goal, for us to learn how to dance. And the dance is when we learn how to, in healthy ways, live with this other-oriented love. Uh, Learning how to say no to Babylon, which is always luring us towards self-centeredness. But to follow the Spirit, which is who is always luring us towards other orientedness. And we this is how we learn how to dance individually and collectively. God's dance partner. Are you all in? Are you giving God your seven? Again, open up your heart as a spreadsheet and let the Holy Spirit do an audit. And just be honest. We're so good at not being honest with ourselves, at kidding ourselves. I am aware that I, very frequently, I have my one foot in the kingdom door. Yeah, because I believe that's all true. But there's a little foot, a little bit on the outside, just in case it's not true. I still would like my best life now. I don't want to waste this life if it turns out to be the only one I've got. But see, that's a lie. And everything that's holding you back from being a seven is a lie. It's the enemy's strategy. He lies to us. We believe lies. And so we think it's in our best interest to try to get our best life now rather than being all in, when in fact, you only discover the joy of life, the purpose of life. You only discover your true self when you're all in. When you're living, following the example of Jesus, living in other-oriented love, that's joy. There's no joy like that. There's no fullness like that. There's no life like that. And so God's saying, share in my life. Share in my, pour it out in this life. Are you all in? Are you giving God your seven? Uh, and ask, what's holding you back? And realize it's a lie. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you what the truth is to let go of that lie so that you're a seven, so that you are all in. Holy Spirit, thank you for being among us in our midst, working in our hearts and our minds. Uh, and every person in this place and every person watching online, whether it's right now or 10 years from now, Holy Spirit, we thank you for being ahead of us and doing this work, uh, reconciling all things, bringing your shalom. We ask that you continue to do that, Lord, and lure our hearts, win our hearts. If we're a five right now, move us to a six. If we're a six, move us to a seven. Help us to be all in, sold out, nothing hold back, as we're living for you with a passion and dynamism, because you are Lord of lords, King of kings. You are beautiful. You are radiant. The work you're doing in this world is beautiful and radiant. And God, we just thank you for inviting us to be a part part of this. Help us to be all in on this to do all that you have called us individually and collectively to do. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen times seven. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, don't forget, we've got uh, prayer available online or up front. If you could use prayer, take advantage of that. We've got the gathering groups in the week. We've got MuseCast. And we've got the tap this Friday. You know, what you might want to do is come early, 6 o'clock, go to the tap, then go to the, the, the artistic uh, gathering, and then when that's done, go back to the tap because it goes till 9 o'clock. It's going to be a fun time. God bless you guys. Love on the world. Love you guys. Proud of you.